0: Welcome, friends. This is your Field Guide to Body Language podcast. I am your host and fellow body language nerd, Laurel. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can do that on Patreon. You can also join the Facebook group. It's free. Bring friends. There will, of course, be links in the show notes if you'd like to explore either of those options. On the docket today, we have people watching. In recent episodes, we've been talking a lot about different kinds of movements and a lot of things we could look out for, but not really how to look for them. And there are ways to structure an observation so that you get the most out of your time and you don't leave feeling like you've wasted an afternoon. So let's talk about how to structure an observation like a pro. Anytime you're watching people, you start with why. Simon Sinek would be so proud. Um, This is something you're going to think about before you even start observing. You want to go into the process with this already in your mind. So what constitutes an observation why? Your why is your purpose. It needs to be clear and meaningful. Your why could be something as simple as curiosity about movement in general, or as complex as establishing a movement profile and noting any deviations. If you decide that you want to just look at movement in general, you will end up narrowing your parameters later on in the process, but don't sweat it too much at the outset. Having a clear purpose is going to inform every step of your observation and meaning-making process. As I have mentioned in previous episodes, in addition to being a movement analyst, I also teach Pilates, which involves a lot of really purposeful people watching. When someone comes in, I will obviously be watching them move, but the why behind each session might be different. If I have a new client come in with a particular pain complaint, my why would include looking for the source of the pain. If a client comes in wanting to improve his golf swing, that would inform what I look for in their body. If a client just wants to get stronger or have fun moving, then my why changes a little because in addition to watching their body alignment and muscle recruitment, I'm also looking to see how much the client is physically straining. Are they getting the workout they were hoping for um, or are they having fun moving um, if that's what they were hoping to get out of the workout? The why of the session dictates how I watch the body in front of me. Now, sometimes the why is more vague. On occasion, I start leading the client through a workout and I wait for something to jump out at me. Usually it's an exercise or a concept that the client is struggling with that day and that becomes the why for the rest of the session. I start the session with an open purpose and use feedback from the session to kind of narrow it down. Let's consider what this would look like in a people-watching session at a public place like a park. You might decide that you will pick one person and only look at that person's effort life. You might decide to observe how the events of a birthday party take up space and define their territory. You might decide that you want to compare and contrast how caregivers and children interact with the playground equipment in different ways. Obviously, there are a lot of possibilities out there. The next thing to decide is what role you will be playing in the observation you can be an onlooker or a participant. These seem pretty self-explanatory, but each is actually rather complex in their own way. An onlooker is someone who is an observer only. This can be people watching at the park or the symphony or watching a TV show or movie. This is mostly a non-interactive role. You're there, but you aren't actively involved in the situation you're observing. That being said, It's really important to understand that if you're observing in person, your presence in that space can influence the interaction you're observing. This obviously doesn't apply to watching a pre recorded TV show or YouTube video because you weren't there when it was being recorded to influence events. However, in a situation where you're watching your kids play and they know you are there, that will change the way they play together. If you're watching a couple walk together at the park, even if you don't talk to them, if they know you are there, that has the potential to change their interaction. So just keep that kind of in the back of your brain. In situations where you are an onlooker only, you do have the advantage of being able to focus purely on observing. You can take it at whatever pace you want. You have plenty of time to go through the watching process, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, Being an onlooker also affords you the opportunity to kind of be detached and more objective, to take notes in the moment if you wish and breaks whenever you want, which can be especially helpful if you're not used to people watching. You'll be taking in a lot of information and being able to kind of take it at your own pace is ideal. The other way you can observe is to take a participant role in observation. This would be where you're actively interacting with the person or group you're observing. This is things like teaching, counseling, Uh, teaching Pilates definitely falls under this category, as well as coaching a sports team, um, or even just having a normal conversation. In a situation where you are observing in a participant role, even though part of your attention is being diverted to reacting appropriately, you have the benefit of really being able to embody and be present in the situation. And that can inform the observation in a completely different way than if you're only watching it. So you're going to decide on your why, and then you're going to choose whether you want to observe from an onlooker's perspective, or if you want to be a participant in the interaction. The next thing you need to consider is the duration of your observation, and you're going to use your why to decide how long your observation should be. How much of your day do you need to dedicate to get meaningful results? The length of time you spend observing will not only influence the kind of results you get, but also the snacks you pack. Nothing is worse than setting yourself up with a great observation opportunity only to discover that you're hungry and you can't focus. Ask me how I know. If this is going to be a brief observation, which tends to be the kind of observation we just kind of naturally make during our daily lives, you you may not need snacks. Brief observations are good for like snap judgments and first impressions, but the information you get is really limited. If you're going to do an extended observation where you might start looking to establish a baseline for behavior and movement preferences, usually light snacks or coffee will suffice sometimes two coffees. Um, now, if you're gonna do a longitudinal study or if you are gathering historical data for a very lengthy study, multiple coffees are required, perhaps even takeout, Depending on the length of your observation, you'll notice that what you observe is either a linear progression of results, events that aren't repeated, or you'll observe a cycle of movements that are repeated. And if you hang around long enough, you'll see a combination of both. Human movement exhibits both of these characteristics, and you will be able to observe both depending on the duration of your observation. For example, Monday morning, you go to the park to people watch. At 9.30 a.m., you observe a gentleman walk his dog, sit on the park bench for five minutes, check his phone, and then continue walking his dog. That's a linear progression of movements and could be seen in a relatively short duration. If you continue that observation all day, hope you pack snacks, you may discover that that same gentleman comes back at 1.30 p.m. and then at 5.30 p.m. both times walking the dog, sitting on the park bench, checking his phone, and then continuing on his walk. It's a cycle he repeats three times a day. So a short observation will reveal a linear progression of movements, a sequence of movements that isn't repeated, but a longer observation would show a cycle of events. It's one. It's a one-walk sequence, but it's repeated three times a day. Let's just take a moment for a tangent. It can be really tempting to do a brief observation, see a linear progression of events, and pass judgment based on that brief interaction. And in general, that is just not a great practice. You have no background information, you've not established a baseline for movement, and there isn't enough information in a brief interaction to assign permanent meaning to movements. When you are trying to get a baseline for someone's body language, it's important that you spend enough time observing them to see the cycles. Not that you can't use information from a short observation, you certainly can, but it's important to put it in the context of the person and their life and their circumstances. The best way to understand someone in their body language is to look at the patterns. You wanna consider what effort elements they favor, where they are in their personal space and what shapes they like to make in their personal space and the physicality of how their body moves. When you look at all of those things, then you can start to establish a movement baseline And note changes in the baseline. Avoid taking one brief observation and giving it lifelong meaning. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to your gut if you have bad feelings about something. If your gut tells you to get the hell out, then get the hell out. But if you're not in danger and you really want to look at someone's movement and understand their body language, then take the time to do some longer observations and understand what their baseline movement looks like. A longer extended observation is one where you would start to see cycles of movement. So going back to our man walking his dog, in a brief observation, we'd see that short walk sequence. In an extended observation, we'd start to see the repeating pattern of multiple dog walks. This could carry on for months or even years, but someday something will happen to change that pattern. Imagine this. Every morning you do an informal observation of shorts. Of shorts, yes do an informal observation of shorts. (laughs) Let's try that again. Every morning, you do an informal observation of sorts. You grab your coffee, sit on a park bench, and you people watch for half an hour or so while waiting for that caffeine rush to set in. Every morning, you notice our friend with his dog. Um, Okay, at this point, this guy needs a name. Um, I'm going to go with John. John and his dog, Spot. Every morning while enjoying your coffee, you see John and Spot out for their morning constitutional. John walks Spot, sits on a park bench for a few minutes, checks his phone, and then he and Spot continue on. You and John and Spot continue on like that for months, years even. But then one day, John and Spot don't show up for their walk. That's odd. But maybe John went on vacation and Spot is being boarded. But you keep observing. for weeks. John and Spot don't show up at the park. But one day you see John walking in the park by himself, rather slower than usual, and looking around as if unsure what to do. This is notable because it's a change in the cycle. You know John and Spot walk every morning, and for several mornings now they have not been walking together. You could start drawing conclusions with some accuracy when there are deviations from the normal movement. Maybe something happened to Spot. Maybe John and his partner separated and John no longer has custody of Spot. We don't know for sure, but we can make an educated guess based on the change in behavior. And what enables us to see the change in behavior is all of the time we spent gathering information and creating a baseline. Eventually, John will get lonely. Heck, he probably already is. The next thing you know, John is out walking again. This time with a little pup who is obviously not as practiced on his leash as Spot was. But you notice a hmm, slightly exasperated smile on John's face as his feet get tangled in Rover's leash. This notes another change in movement, another change in the established pattern that we could draw possible conclusions from. John got a new puppy, or possibly John is just puppy sitting. If you continue to observe, you'd be able to make more educated guesses based on the changes you see. So let's leave John and his dogs here while we recap a little bit. First, decide why you're observing. Then decide if you're going to be an onlooker or a participant, and then gather snacks for the appropriate length of your observation, which could be a brief observation that will show a progression of movements that don't repeat an extended observation that starts to show cycles and establish a baseline. When we start to see cycles change and develop over a longer period of time, that's a longitudinal observation. Like when we saw John's movements change between spot and rover, You could also put that in the context of John's entire life and relationship with dogs, but that's going a little far for just people watching. Useful in a therapy session, but not for your everyday casual people watching situation. The next thing you want to consider is what movement parameters you will choose to focus on. And if you've been listening to the podcast, these next bits will sound familiar because you narrow down movement parameters using our old friends, body, effort, shape, and space. If you go out people watching just to see all the movements people do, you will miss 90% of what's going on. It's much more productive to approach an opportunity to observe with a set of movement parameters related to why you are observing. Are you observing someone in particular to establish a baseline for their movement? Or do you want to get yourself a little bit more familiar with the effort elements or space theory or how the body moves? And you watch multiple people with those specific concepts in mind. You might decide that at the next family dinner you attend, you want to watch everyone briefly and see if you can observe their variation in time, acceleration or deceleration, Or weight increasing or decreasing pressure. You could also decide that at the next family dinner, you want to spend a larger chunk of time taking a participant role in an interaction to note your cousin Susie's use of her personal space in conversation. If you are a beginner in the practice of people watching, then just recognizing effort elements or the use of space in someone else is a huge accomplishment. Keep going with that. If you're more practiced, You might look for some more complex things, combination of effort elements, or how certain effort elements are paired with certain places in space, even how the body reacts to certain conversation topics. And this really takes some practice. It can be really difficult to discern movements in the moment, but remember that if you observe long enough, you will see cyclical results. So if you miss something the first time, don't worry about it. If it's important, it will be repeated. Now, what are we doing with all these results? Well, we're making notes and then we're making sense. I have found recording my observations to be really helpful. I am a big fan of a little notebook so that if I see something really interesting that I don't want to forget, I can quickly jot it down. Then later when I get home, I might use my quick notes to jog my memory and help me consider other movements that I saw that day. What I really like to do is take my quick notes and transfer them to a larger movement observation sheet where I can start to gather my thoughts more clearly. Um, And I will, uh, I have one of those. So I will upload a template for you as a freebie on the Patreon page, and you can try it out and let me know what you think, if it's helpful to get your thoughts organized in that way or, um, or not. And if you want to download it and make adjustments, go for it the tail end of the observation process is making sense of what you saw. You're going to consider everything you observed and interpret the data in relationship to your why, and then draw a conclusion. If you're just at the beginning of this process and are focusing on being able to see the effort elements in other people, then don't worry about trying to make sense out of every little movement. If you're looking at more complex things, like how Susie moves in her personal space, then you may have some interesting things to consider in this phase. You can take your observations and compare, contrast, or correlate. In comparing, you take Susie's movements and compare them to your own. Perhaps you brought up a subject that took her by surprise and she drew away from you, retreating in her personal space, like to the back part of her personal space bubble. That's a pretty common reaction to shocking information. And it's highly likely that your body knows that like intrinsically just as well as Susie's. So you could compare what you know of reacting to a shock with Susie's reaction and draw an informal conclusion that Susie was indeed shocked. You could also correlate your results. This tends to be a little bit more formal and requires more data, but you could correlate Susie's movement with another time when you know she was shocked or correlate it to the reaction of other people when receiving the same information. The other way you can seek to make sense of movements is by contrasting. This isn't so much applicable to Susie's emotional responses or anyone's emotional responses, but it could be well demonstrated in a Pilates session. When I watch clients go through their exercise, I take a lot of care with their alignment. And if I see that it isn't optimal, I adjust it. If they're going through an exercise and one hip is hiked up, let's say, um, and I know the hips should be even, I will adjust them. And sometimes I'll even say, your left hip is hiked up. Let's slide it down. We need your hips to be even. I see the contrast between the way it is and the way it should be um, and we adjust accordingly. And obviously you see why this, this wouldn't apply to emotional movements. Okay. The last thing we're going to tackle today is the process of watching. When you are actually in the process of watching people, you're going to go through four phases, relax, attune, concentrate, and recuperate. Relaxing is your preparation phase. You want to calm down. You want to clear your mind so that you can be alert and ready to see and accept new information. Then you're going to attune. You're looking at the whole picture of movement. This is a really generalized view. It is not specific. So you're going to relax. You're going to attune looking at the big picture. And then you're going to narrow your focus into one point of conversation. Look for the smaller details. There are lots of things you can hone in on. What parts of the body are moving? The qualities of the movement or where the body is going in space. By looking at movement one element at a time, we begin to see the individual pieces that build more complex movements. Then recuperate. This phase is an active recharge of your energy. And it really helps keep you focused for a longer period of time. And you should be cycling through these four phases pretty consistently. I know how tempting it is to try to concentrate for long periods of time and just stay in that concentration phase forever, but that does not support good observation techniques or results. You charge your phone after you use it, do the same thing for your powers of observation. That is it, my friends. You made it all the way through people watching 101. If you could, please take a moment to leave a review. Um, that would really, really help me. And then, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email or DM me. I am Laurel Foley on Instagram. Sorry, at Laurel Foley on Instagram. Um, or you can email me, Laurel at fieldguide to body language.com. Have a great day. Okay, so I'm actually really excited. Um, Tonight, I get to go to my son's first football game. And I mean, aside from the fact that I'm super excited that he's playing football. um, Well, that's I'm excited that he's doing something he loves. I I don't really care too much about football, but I'm excited that he's doing something he loves. And um, I'm excited that I get to support him doing something he loves. But that's kind of an aside. It's going to be such a great people watching opportunity because you have all of these parents and um, family members in the stands and it's football. Everybody feels really, really passionate about football um except me but that's fine um anyway so you've got all these parents in the stands all these family members in the stands who are going to be reacting to what's going on on the field and then and then I also get to see how the players play the game and I've watched some professional football I am not like a regular football fan or anything i'm sure you can tell if you're like oh she never watches football but um it's gonna be really really interesting to see because there's there's oh my god there's just a lot there anyway so football tonight extra super fun